0: Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on story writer John Paget. Take a listen. My name is John Paget. I'm an author here in New Orleans. I'm going to be reading a couple of pieces from my collection, The Secret of Ventriloquism published by Dunham's Manor Press. The Mindfulness of Horror Practice In this recording, I'm going to be leading you through all four stages of the Mindfulness of Horror Practice. Closing your eyes. Now become aware of your environment, the air on your skin, the temperature in the room, any itches or irritations you might feel, any aches or pains within or without, and acknowledge the sounds around you, cars honking outside, the neighbor's music playing, the screeches of birds or children, any smells, perfumes or bodily odors, just Become open to these sensations and experiences. Accept them, good or bad. And then you can begin to take your attention inwards, into your body, becoming aware of your feet, feeling the skin and veins, muscles and sinews, and finally, the skeletal structure of your feet, the dead body bones of your future self. Feel them becoming more solid than the transitory flesh gore that covers them. And the more awareness you can take into your skeleton feet, the more you can let go. Now let that sensation spread from your skeleton feet up to your calf bones, thigh bones, Pelvic bones, straight up through your spine, poised and balanced. Shoulder blades, flexing ribs and collarbones. The bones growing heavy, heavy down your arms, elbows, straight through the tiniest finger bones. Letting the top of your spine grow long, long. Noticing that your skull is the only part of your skeleton that feels light, as if the rest of your head, hair, skin, eyes, cartilage, brain, has disintegrated, leaving a dome filled only with the gaseous remnants of your non-skeletal self. And then begin to experience your skeleton as a whole, scanning through it, upright and open. And in the midst of all these experiences, notice a deep aching within your skeleton self, a throbbing hurt. Concentrate on that skeleton ache. Let it expand within its marrow. Become absorbed. Become fascinated by the wellspring of discomfort you've discovered within yourself. This is the horror of the organism. And in the midst of all these experiences, notice your breathing, the physical sensations of your breathing. And you can let your awareness become absorbed, become fascinated by those sensations, letting your consciousness fill your breathing, and letting your breathing. Fill your consciousness, and then moving into the second stage of the practice, noticing your breath, counting one, breathing in and out. Two. In and out. Three. In and out, and so on, until you get to ten, and once you've reached. 10. Starting again at 1. And whenever you realize that your mind has wandered, bring your awareness back into your breathing. Noticing the awareness. Becoming aware of itself. And with it, a growing panic. Traveling through your body all the way up into your skull every time you breathe in. So every time that you breathe in, your mind is becoming more and more at one with the panic, until every counted number becomes a testament to self-suffocation. This is the horror of the mind. And then moving into the third stage of the practice, you can let go of the counting and simply follow the flow of your panicked breathing. As you continue to breathe in and out, beginning to focus on your panicked thoughts, notice how they flail against the growing agony of the becoming within you. Your panic helping you to stay in awareness, becoming that awareness. Now imagine your every inhaled breath drawing black fog in a killing toxin that exterminates those stray, redundant cogitations that writhe and jerk within the emptying hull of your mind. This is the horror of being. And now, moving into the last stage of the practice, you can finally stop breathing altogether and begin focusing more and more Unless and less. You may begin to imagine you hear something like static or even the roar of an airliner. You may feel lightheaded, like you're going to pass out. Ignore these feelings. They are normal. They indicate that you're coming into perfect sync with your empty skeleton body and your empty skeleton head giving yourself a few moments to assimilate the effects of the practice, and you can begin to take your awareness into the outside world, becoming aware of the space around you and of your experiences of that space as hideous and alien without as within, except as the days and nights go by That you are a walking skeleton, an ambulatory miracle of meat. New thoughts come, but they arrive from beyond the foam, beyond the foam, beyond the foamy sponge of your brain. Now, open your eyes. The Indoor Swamp You'll never see any Indoor Swamp employees. No informational tour monologue. Not even a recorded voiceover while you ride. The flat-bottomed boat contains no hatch for a driver. A track pulley somewhere under the deck yanks the boat at intervals. You'll feel the automatic pull, then release, pull, then release of a state fair ride. The water appears algae-covered green, but not quite the right shade of green. The trees, though, seem realistic, grayish-white cypresses draped in what looks at first glance like Spanish moss. Some days an acrid fog hangs over the indoor swamp, more mildew than swamp stench. There is only one indoor swamp rule, an off-white sign in front of the dock that reads, No Touching. This commandment is a little trickier to follow than you'd think. Pay close attention at all times to avoid the hanging branches of burlap Spanish moss. The closer those trees come as you make your automatic way downstream, the more the bark looks like swaths of dirty papier-mâché. Stroking the jagged, leafless branches as they go by is tempting, just to verify or debunk the tree's natural reality. But you shouldn't. Of course, it's unclear exactly what the dock sign means by no touching. Does it mean no touching the off-green liquid which passes its swamp water? No touching the looming, possibly synthetic trees. The sign offers no elaboration. To be safe, you may want to avoid your fellow passengers not even touching them with your direct gaze. After all, they'll surely avoid contact with you and each other. Silence prevails during the tour. On a clear day, you'll see the city through the greenhouse windows that surround the indoor swamp. Little bridges and overpasses and tall buildings float by on all sides as the flat-bottomed boat makes its way down the river. And, of course, you do go down at a steeper and steeper angle. The pace of the ride quickens. That's when you'll notice the indoor swamp getting narrower and smaller. Fewer cypresses appear this far down the artificial river, and they are reduced. The all-encompassing indoor swamp seems to shrink before you by degrees. It finally resolves into what appears to be a model train-set-sized landscape. The indoor swamp, in miniature, at first... This optical illusion may make you sick to your stomach as you feel yourself descending even as you appear to be gliding upwards. This effect is exacerbated by the bits and pieces of the flat-bottomed boat shifting in and out of place under and around you. Its structure folds and rearranges itself like an origami figure. What was once a flat-bottomed boat resembles a series of narrow, connected roller coaster cars. No more need to avoid the other passengers. You will be in single file, one car per person as the tour continues. The greenhouse and the cityscape beyond it rise until they disappear behind you into a large, dingy, gray warehouse. The quality of the light changes from an outdoor glow to a drab, Harsh fluorescent. You never can tell exactly when the indoor swamp gives out and the flea market appears. The walls are dim. Little alcoves appear, filled with an odd knick-knacks. Old books and used furniture. The artificial mildew stench of the swamp gives way to the smell of bug spray. All the items are used underneath the indoor swamp. Everything is for sale at a special price. But rarely will you discover anything of use. A child-size crummy suitcase with crumbling innards. Ill-formed glass globes filled with deformed blackbirds within ugly blue spirals. A crude ventriloquist dummy. Hollow head, half-broken open, one good eye staring at you. Tacky, garish porcelain figures. Open-water, damaged books, too yellowed to read. Of course, no one buys anything in the flea market. There are no clerks in the sale nooks. But many of the sales materials are within easy reach, daring you to touch them. Now that you are no longer in danger of coming into contact with the other passengers, it's more tempting than ever, but you do so at your own risk. The marketplace narrows, and the warehouse in which it's housed starts to fold in. You'll eventually find yourself in something like a trailer home in its atmosphere and width. What follows is the final and least pleasant aspect of the indoor swamp tour, but arguably the most thrilling. The flea market nooks disappear, replaced by rather drab looking rooms, but for one or two disturbing objects within them. Perhaps there is a room that contains a worn vintage tea party set with frilled, dressed dolls, but one of those dolls' heads gradually rotates completely around, going from an expression of knowing, smiling perversion to an open-mouthed, silent O of horror and back again. Its eyes follow you as the doll's head slowly spins. Or the next room, a bedroom, might contain a large black corroded barrel, in the place of a bed, a barrel that you are certain contains something so poisonous that you can feel and smell waves of sharp, nauseating dread peeling off of it. You may not be able to keep your eyes off such a barrel, not even to blink. Whatever is within might burst out, you think, like a jack-in-the-box the instant your attention shifts away. The track propelling you forward through the tour Slows to a crawl here. Long periods of low-ceilinged, claustrophobic tedium between rooms, punctuated by moments of panic, and then a final dark room ahead. A room containing a kind of roaring abyss. After which, you'll find yourself filing out with the crowd into a large, multi-level parking garage. The large glass doors go dark, and lock automatically as you and your fellow tour-goers exit. You might find yourself frustrated, confused, and deflated. You wouldn't be the first to dislike or even despise the indoor swamp. It's not for everyone. But you won't be able to resist a return trip. On later visits to the indoor swamp, you might find yourself... Staring through the greenhouse windows with longing, those buildings and those slivers of sky around you look so bright. The busy outside world seems so engaging. What a relief it would be, you might think, to be anywhere else beyond these glass walls. But you're filing back onto the long, flat boat, making your way down the artificial lagoon skimming through the crummy flea market, creeping along the trailer hallway, viewing one disturbing tableau after another on your heavy way to that final abyss. On subsequent visits, you might start voicing your complaints aloud to any of your companions who will listen. You're within your rights to do so, as long as you don't break the no-touching rule. What are we doing here? You might ask. Don't be surprised when you receive no response from your fellow tour goers. They'll be wrapped up in the moment or in daydreams about the thrilling bit before or the chilling bit ahead. You may eventually begin to talk to yourself, and you may even have a hard time remembering certain things. How exactly did you arrive at the indoor swamp in the first place? And where do you go once you file into the multi-level parking garage at the end of the indoor swamp tour? You may find yourself after hours wandering through that half-lit labyrinth. So many other forlorn figures are slumping or staggering there, up and down dim stairwells and along empty parking spaces. It's a struggle to recall which vehicle you arrived in, let alone where you parked it. You may decide to simply wait in front of the large glass entrance to the indoor swamp until the lights switch back on and the automatic lock disengages. Sooner or later, you'll accept that the indoor swamp is the only show worth experiencing, or at least the only one you can access. Then you'll no longer gaze with longing at the buildings and slivers of sky beyond the indoors swamp's greenhouse windows. You might as well be in a real swamp, in the acrid fog, or in thin sunshine that never warms. Sooner or later, you'll be wrapped up in the moment or in the daydreams about the chilling bit before or the chilling bit ahead. It's the indoor swamp itself that has your full attention now. The descent as the indoor swamp flora shrinks into the dingy flea market below. The never-available knickknacks within the indoor swamp flea market. The terrifying tableaus inside the innermost trailer depths of the indoor swamp. One day leads into the next in the indoor swamp. One familiar scene folds into another familiar scene in the indoor swamp. The indoor swamp. It's a ride you can't miss, no matter how terribly you wish you could. Now I'm going to close with a short, short story by. Thomas Ligotti Ten Steps to Thin Mountain by Thomas Ligotti One One day I saw it on a very old map. Thin Mountain. No elevation was noted. In my mind, vague images began to form. I set the map aside and closed my eyes. Then there was a sudden commotion the kind that may start up any place, whether on a train rocking along its tracks or just around an old bench somewhere. A group of people ran by me, waving their arms and making odd noises. What was it that suddenly made me reach for the old map, only to find it was gone? And I just sat there wondering what things were like on Thin Mountain. Two, no one knows all the legends inspired by Thin Mountain, but there are a few I've recently picked up. That its atmosphere will turn you into a raving visionary in a matter of hours. That after a few days, you experience strange yearnings that are impossible to fulfill. That long-time residents become immortal and after death walk the mountain woods as skeletons. What can you expect from hearsay? But one thing is certain among these conjectures. No one wants to give Thin Mountain a chance. Three. Only one way to Thin Mountain. Absolute madness. There is no pretense to esoteric knowledge in this statement. It is simply enough. Once you find that no one will vouch for your sanity, that is when you know you are making progress. You have become wayward. To be at eye level with the world leads nowhere. When your gaze slips off the horizontal, though, hope becomes part of the equation. A grinning dwarf beckons you from the ledge of a tall building. Gargoyles perch on cathedrals angle their snouts in your direction. And before you know it, you're lying around on thin mountain. 4. Not all that I have discovered about Thin Mountain is glamorous. Despite a great deal of picturesque scenery, floating strands of mist, crooked trees, fabulous finger-like peaks, this region contains more than a few perils. One of them is a solitude fit only for fanatics of exile, their eyes always draining the distances. Another is a wind which seems to be composed of countless Tiny voices, the chattering populace of an invisible universe, the half lit days and the sorcery of its nights, moments in which nothing moves and others in which everything stirs ceaselessly. But what would you expect from a place called Thin Mountain? 5. Once I heard the words Thin Mountain spoken in a crowd. Did I say that I saw who said them? I did not. It could have been anyone. Standing along the platform, waiting for the train to arrive. The same day, someone threw himself under that train. He was cut in half. But what a happy expression was plastered in the face of that corpse! Thin mountain! I couldn't help crying out in front of everyone. But as I suspected, no one came forward to confront me. 6. Not once. But a thousand times have I wished to dwell forever on Thin Mountain, even at the price of my mental balance, even at the cost of my miserable life. No happiness except on those peaks. Seven. One morning I awoke, and the pain in my head was worse than ever. I had to cover my eyes. The light coming through my window was so bright. Only the thought of Thin Mountain brought me any relief. 8. There is no secret, I now realize, concerning the existence of Thin Mountain. It seems everyone has known about it all along. I hear them discussing it everywhere. Thin Mountain, yes. Thin Mountain, certainly. 9. On Thin Mountain, no one talks about Thin Mountain. 10. The train will be here soon. I do this to pass the hours, only to pass the hours. That was author John Paget reading some of his own work as well as a story by Thomas Ligotti. And that's our show. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a new community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in Saturdays at 1 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.